0: We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dene. For more information, please visit EquipusChurch.com. The, the, you know, it's not, obviously, it's not the building, this is just an old biscuit factory, remember? Uh, what's amazing is gathering together with God's people, right? Even in an old biscuit factory, right? God does things when we gather together that actually don't happen in any other way than His people coming together. And so I think it's, it's an awesome, awesome thing. To be here. So, anyhow, if uh, who has who is here this morning? Give me a quick wave. Who's here this morning or in Mozagil? Yeah, yeah, cool. Who? So, who wasn't? Give me another wave. That might be also helpful. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, if you weren't here this morning, uh, it's definitely worth having a listen if you can get a hold of it to the sermon I preached this morning. If it's available here, that you can grab it. You can actually. It's also I preached it in Auckland earlier in the year, so it's actually on the Auckland. YouTube channel, but I just want to say that I preached it much, much better this morning. So if you've got the option, listen to this morning's one, because when I preached in Auckland it was the first time I'd Got into those ideas uh, and it's always a bit clumsy first time around. So have a listen to this morning's message because I think it's real. Uh, there's some real keys in there, practical things you can think about for your own life um, that, that will position you to live full and overflowing. The idea of living full and overflowing is a mystical spiritual reality, right? And it will remain that until you do things. Right? You've got to do things in your world that open up that reality because there are, we do live in this, we do live in these twin realities. Right? You, you understand this perfectly. We live in these twin realities, right? When you, let's say you go to school and you see your best friend and they're behaving like everything's fine, but you know it's not. Right? You know, some for some reason there, there's a cold, there's some sort of cold shoulder going on. Right, you know that feeling. That's because we all understand as human beings, there's always two realities: there's the here and now, but it's somehow connected to what's going on in the invisible realities. And those invisible realities, for us as Christians, we understand that as a spiritual realm is one word we would use for it. But it's also an—you emo- could think of it as an emotional realm, or you could think of it as the collective unconscious. If you're a Jungian psycho, like, how many Jungian theorists do we have out here? Not many, right? Uh, there's a whole lot you can think of it. That, um, uh, the poet Keats would call it, uh, uh, he would call it the spiritus mundi, the spirit of the age, right? This, this monster of the world around us, right? Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about the dragon of chaos. There's these invisible realities that are all around us and we operate in the physical, but for some reason as human beings, we're also connected to this invisible reality. Your dog doesn't care, right? Have you noticed your dog? Your dog, dog's only, if there's food in the bowl, he doesn't care how you're feeling, right? The dog's happy if there's food, and the dog is sad if there's not food, right? But for us as humans, it's always a bit more than that going on. So I hope you have a, if you've got time, have a listen to the message this morning, or if if you heard it already, have another listen, because I think there's some practical keys that you can put in practice in your life. You can just decide, I'm going to do this and this and this, and you'll be able to measure it every day. Am I filling the jars? Am I taking the opportunity to draw something out? And then there's other points that you missed, which is presenting it to the Master, it's interesting when the, the servant in the story, when he pulls out the glass of water, he presents it not to the guests, but he presents it to the master. Who's going to drink the wine? The guests. But who's it really for? The master. Right? So yeah, you've got, you've got a, you, you can draw that glass out and just present yourself to, in your job. But it's not your job. It's for the... Master, right? And that's the reality. It's a really important reality. David Tour from the Warriors, who finished hashtag users on heaps of his social media posts for an audience of one. So what he is doing in his rugby league career is exactly the same as what his mate Keenan is doing in his songwriting career. Because they were in the band together when they were form one, Right? And it was all about, let's live a life of worship and worship God in the spheres that God gives us influence and honour Him there, right? It doesn't, you, you might not be able to play music, but your worship, your worship leading career starts now tonight, okay? Your worship career starts now. No, you, maybe no one will ever want you to sing on the platform, right? I, you can join me in that club, right? Nobody wants to hear me sing into the microphone. Nobody wants to hear me sing at all, right? But the reality is this, our worship is much more important than our singing. Okay, so just right, we, we know that, right? Worship is much more important than singing, but worship is that invisible thing. Thinking, singing is the thing you do with your mouth. Well, the invisible thing's happening, right? So the two things are connected. So tonight, because it's the evening, there's two things that are great about night church. One, you can get away with wearing a T-shirt instead of a shirt, Brilliant jeans and, and slightly more casual shoes. That's brilliant. It facilitates better preaching. I just want to say that. Uh, the, other thing, the other thing that's good about night service is we can explore some ideas a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah. So this is going to be more of me exp- of us exploring some ideas rather than me presenting them at you. Okay, so I do need you to switch your brains on a little bit. right? Even though it's the evening, switch your brain on a little bit and just I need you to think as we go because you're going to have to apply this into your own world. Right, Because it's gonna apply very, very differently for every person. And if, if, if I try and apply it to your life, it will just be me judging you. If you apply it to your life, it can be the Holy Spirit judging you, which will, be, which will just be better, right? If we can allow the Holy Spirit to judge us, then we don't need to be pointing fingers at each other right? And we can allow God to work in our world. Amen. So let's have a look. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We're going to put them up on the screen and I'm going to read. These are from the New Living Translation. I might need to have a younger person do some reading. Um, Okay. Okay. I'm going to read it from my, thank the Lord for the interweb. I'm going to read it from here. So, if you can, you probably can read that from further away, but I cannot because my eyes are dim. Uh. So here we go. Here we go. Okay, Genesis chapter four, one. Okay, here you go. It wasn't too hard. New King James. I can't even read that. Okay, let's find NLT. This is extra. This is just a. There's too many translations on this now. Okay, here we go. Okay. No, I don't want the audio. Here. I could just play the audio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Adam. Okay, so if you're a young person, block your ears. But Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. If you don't understand how that works, talk to your mum. When she gave birth to her son, she Cain, she said... With the Lord's help, I have produced a man, right? That's his name. With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and she named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So Cain was a horticulturalist and Abel was a shepherd. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. You know, So some cabbages and some carrots, a few things of like that. Abel also brought a gift. He brought the best portions of his firstborn lambs, probably that would be the chops, from his flock, right? Okay, so just listen to the difference in the offerings. Cain brought some of his produce. Right, so God doesn't dislike produce, but Cain brought some of his produce. And then Abel brought, not some of his lambs, he brought the best portions. Okay, so there's a slight difference in attitude. Both are giving, but there's a slight difference in attitude that's really, really subtle, right? The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain or his gift. This made Cain very angry. And so he looked dejected. So Cain's face, it says, the Old Translation says his face fell, right? So he's got that, you know, the the resting face, you know, resting lady dog face. Um, And so Abel brought a gift, Cain brought a gift. God accepted Abel and his gift, but he didn't accept Cain and his gift. And then this is a conversation between God and Cain, right? Really interesting conversation. God says, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Listen to this carefully. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Okay, we're just going to pause here. All right, this is ancient, this is an ancient, ancient story, one of the oldest stories in human history, right? The oldest ones being, um, this might be even older. It's a very, very old story, right? So history sort of begins with Abraham, and these are older than that. These are the oldest stories in humankind, okay? And this is a story, a really interesting story, and it says this conversation Cain does less than his best, and God calls him out. He does less than is blessed, then he's angry at the result. So he doesn't try hard enough. Cain doesn't try hard enough, and he doesn't get the result he wants. He wants a good result. He doesn't try hard enough for a good result. He gets a bad result, and then he's angry. Weird, eh? Weird, right? Who would do that, right? Anyhow, moving on. He has this conversation with God. God says, why do you look so angry? What's wrong with your face? That's what my mother used to say to us. What's wrong with your face? Right? What's wrong with your face? If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. But be careful, because this is the moment. He doesn't, he doesn't do good enough, then he's angry with the result. And then God says, you're in a dangerous place because sin, okay, the word, we'll come back to the word sin in a minute. Sin is crouching at the door, trying to get in, trying to get into you somehow. And it wants to have its way with you. Now, the Hebrew idiom, okay, sorry. I don't, know, I don't know any more simple words for it. Because like, Hebrew is a picture language. There's not many words, but they paint pictures, right? And the picture language here is that this word sin is that sin is, if it's your mum, just say, just say, no, I can't make it for dinner. Sorry. The um, sin, sin is crouching at the door trying to get in. The picture language is that this word sin, is, it's like a, it's a sexually aroused predatory cat. Okay, it doesn't translate into English very well, right? <laughs> right? And it's trying to, listen, it's trying to reproduce itself in you, wow. right? So the thing is that this is the thing about sin. Sin starts with the wrong thing we do. And it multiplies as it reproduces itself in us. Right? So the danger is straight after we do the wrong thing, there's a moment where we either open the door for the wrongness to reproduce, it, to multiply itself in us, or we deal with the wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. If we do the right thing, we accept it. If not We won't be accepted, but we've got to be careful. We must subdue sin rather than sin multiplying in us. That's what God says to Cain. One day Cain suggested to his brother Abel, let's go into the fields. And while they're out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? And then God goes, God goes on and says, yeah, "I know what you've done," and, and God curses Cain, and then it reproduces for Cain, right? All of the just death and destruction that Cain. Begun, seven generations, it talks about uh, Cain's great-great-grandchildren become mass murderers, destroying whole cities, right? So this thing that was begun as this offence, this moment, this disappointment, this anger, I didn't get the result I wanted, begins a process in Cain that reproduces itself and ultimately this mass murder takes place down the generations. Two tubal Cain, the sons of Cain, become these destructive forces in the world. Interesting story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna look at Hebrews chapter 12 and this is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. I'd just like to thank the AV team. Could we give them a round of applause? (laughs) Helping out the special needs pastor. Okay, so this is what it says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. So the previous passage talks about the fact that we live our whole life with this grandstand of every hero of faith who's gone before us. And they're watching us. Right? And it says they're eagerly cheering us on because it says that they can't, all the heroes of faith who've gone before, the apostles, the prophets, right? Moses and Noah, all these heroes of faith who've gone before, they can't enter into their reward until the whole plan of God comes together. So they're cheering us on, saying, come on. They're like almost past the baton and then they're watching us run our race, right? Because we're surrounded by this crowd of witness to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Think Olympics in the ancient world, right? That's not a joke. That's what, he got that's what He's saying there. Let's get, let's get naked so we can run fast, right? Translate that. There's things that hold you down that you don't need for the race that you're running, okay? Especially let's get rid of the sin that trips us up. That's a bit, that's a bit more painful than holding us down, but it trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has marked out for us. Do you know, in Christian Christian circles, we've got this. It's not just Christians. Lots of people say this. We say this thing, which I think is, we need to stop saying. We say this all the time. We say, we're we're all on a journey. Because we're not all on a journey. We're all in a race. How many of you know, that's a really different thing. Because the Apostle Paul, when he wrote Hebrews, or whoever wrote Hebrews, he could have said, let's walk out patiently the journey that God has for us. That makes sense, right? The metaphor works, it's all. But that's a very different thing to say. It's very different to say, let's walk out patiently the journey before us, right? He say, let's run with endurance the race that's marked out. That means it's marked out. Here's the start line. And here's the finish line. I just wanna point this out to you. Finish line. Some of you are like 22, right? I just want to point out to you, there's a finish line, right? I'm 43, I'm closer to the finish line statistically, right? The probability is I'm closest to the finish line. Closer to the finish line than a... But each and every one of us are one day closer to our finish line than we were yesterday. But here's the thing, you have to run with endurance because you don't know where the finish line is, but it's a race. Now, the, the fact of the matter is that it's because we misunderstand the word journey, So the word journey comes from the French jour, right, which references the idea of a day. And the idea of a journey is you've got to get as far as you can today because you can't travel at night. You've got to get as far as you can today because you can't travel at night. That's what Moses said, teach us to number our days that we could gain a heart of wisdom. We're all on a journey, which actually means we've got to walk in the way of Christ today because we can't worry about yesterday and we've got no contact with tomorrow. We've got to walk out our day because there's something for us to achieve, right? There's not a hundred and something people in this room to achieve one thing. There's a hundred and something people in this room to achieve a hundred and something things. Right? God wouldn't have created you, you wouldn't still be using up his oxygen if there wasn't a thing for you to be doing. Right? If, if you're all done, there's other places God could put you, right? But there's a thing for you to do, right? He has got two different places he puts people, right? But the reality is, there's a thing for us to do, there's a race for us to run. How many people love a good running race? Yeah, I can, yeah, various people are nodding and other people are not nodding. Right, we've We have four children. Madeline, she's seventeen. Elliot is fifteen. Austin, twelve, and Lucia is nine. Right, and so Lucia is probably of our four children is probably the most physically gifted. Um, she's she is also tiny, so it's a weird combination. But she's incredibly fast uh, and and really really strong for her size. Right, she's regularly punching people, uh, mainly her brothers. Uh, and When she's challenged on this, she just points out that she's only practicing. So that seems to be okay in her mind. But anyway, one of the things Lucia uh, was pretty committed and focused on last year was cross-country. How many people love a good cross-country? Primary school, cross-country, Ying. Um, right, so she's pretty focused on the cross-country. And just a word to those who are still single, this is, this is I just want to point this out, you need, to, you need to choose a partner on the basis of genetics, right? Think, you just need to think of your children, right? Right, so I managed to find someone fast, and and so the re- the reason my children can do the cross country right, whereas I could not, uh, is because of my wise choices. Okay, so <laughs> so anyway, Lucia was focused on the cross country. So they're practicing at school, and then she felt like uh, she really needed to practice a river crossing in the cross country course because we live right near the cross country course. So we would go down and practice. Particularly, we'd practice the river crossing down and run. She figured out that she could get across with just one foot in. And she figured that she'd be much faster if she just goes one foot, smash into the river and carry on. Because she felt felt like when they were practising, she could always get past people there. Because they would be like, oh, trying to get through without getting too wet. So she figured out if you just blast through, I'm going to pick up paces there. And that's in the first third and she just have to hold on to the end, right? So she she practised the river crossing. Just to give a little insight into Lucia. She practised the river crossing about 100 times, (laughs) Right? So she practised it, practised practised it, running back, running forward, running forward, people would stop and chat to me. I said, oh yeah, she's focused on the cross country. And they were like, okay, yeah, because she's like this big, right? <laughs> and, uh, and they thought that I was like this sort of over, you know, driven parent, you know? So anyway, come the cross country race day, school cross country race, she sort of won by 100 metres, you know what I mean? So other. Other, she just sort of won by miles, right? And she was pretty excited because she did better in the race than she had in the practices. And that also meant that she could go to the Western Zones, right? And then at the Western Zones, if you can finish in the top 10, you get to go to the Inter Zones. At the Inter Zones, if you finish in the top 10, you get to go to the North Islands and then you get to go to the Nationals, right? So her goal, of course, was to win the Nationals, right? <laughs> Uh, And so she ran the school race by quite a long way and and was, you know, duly celebrated uh, amongst her siblings and at home. Uh, And then she continued to practice for the Western Zones. On the Western Zones, I managed to get there because I had uh, a meeting in the morning, managed to get back to to the suburbs to watch the race. There's all sorts of parents there pretending not to be overly interested in the results, you know, but like right, yeah, chatting away, chatting away, oh, rah, 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 rah. the kids from all different schools and, you know, they, oh, at, the inter, at the Western Zones they get to wear like the school T-shirt and run and so she's pretty excited about it and so the race begins and they, they, they take off around the corner, they take off down the street around the corner, right, so, you know, all the stupid kids, off they go here, you know, a thousand miles an hour, you know, you're never going to see those kids again, right, they're literally not going to make it back out of the bush, Right. <laughs> Someone's going to go have to find them later. Uh, but all the smart kids, Lucia and the rest of them are in sort of the middle and they get to the river crossing and the middle group takes goes past through all the people who are now puffed, puffed as, right? and then, So you can see them and they go through the river crossing and then they're crossing over a hill and into the bush at Karori Park, up into the macrocarpas at the end of the park, you know, and so the parents will have to stand there and, Chit chat, but keep an eye on this. just by the steps near the kindies where they come out of the bush and then they have to come down a little track next to the steps. They're not allowed to run down the steps, obviously. It's going to cause mayhem. And then they run around the park and then back down. It's about 2,500 metre course, which is not bad for nine-year-old legs, right? And so they're racing away and off they go into the bush and we're waiting, watching, looking at the macrocarbots, waiting to see who comes out. And Lucia emerges from the bush in 10th place. Uh, it's just too close for comfort for those of us who are very focused on the result. Okay, uh, obviously me, I need the reflected glory, having never won a cross country race or any race whatsoever. Uh, and her mother, obviously needing to to affirm her own victories, so Lucia has to maintain a, a heritage of victory in races. Um, and my wife's one of those people who's really, really, um, an incredibly lovely, really sweet person up until the competition begins, right? We uh, in the summer we we tried to play Monopoly, but like anyway, anyhow, <laughs> didn't, didn't work. Anyhow, the, uh, Lucia merges in 10th place, and so we're doing like polite cheering because it's sort of, it's the Western Zones in Wellington, so it's Korori, Kandala, Kelvin. Uh, this is a particular parent group that I don't fit in with particularly well. So uh, they're all, ooh, jolly good. And I'm like, come on, come on. So we're cheering, and then they come around, and, and Lucia's being pursued by, a, by another person, right? So, I'm like, a sniper weapon would be really brilliant. (laughs) Situation like that, a little foot trip, you know what I mean? We need a well trained Labrador or something like that. You can throw a pork chop across the track, just at the right minute. But, anyhow, um, they're coming around. I'm just holding my breath. And uh, just as they come into the finishing chute, the finishing line is, or where you can stop, the part where you can stop passing is there. So, Lucia is here as this person goes past. And so Lucia finished 11th. And I'd like to say she took it well. I'm unable to say that though. Yeah, I'm unable to say that. She did not, she did not take it well, right? So she managed, She held, she did, well, she did. She held it together in true Smith fashion, All right? we're, Yeah, we're called Smith for a reason. We're the people who do the hard work. So she holds it together in true Smith fashion until the end of school. And then once into the, in the confines of the family home, there was a significant eruption of emotion. So Ma, her mum, Chrissy, talked to her, and then I talked to her, and uh, B- Elliot talked to her, and Madeline talked to her, and then mum talked to her, and, I talked to her, and all these speeches. Uh, and it was, she literally just ranted and raved. Very, very upset. Very, very disappointed that at the last minute, she'd been working really, really hard, and at the last minute, that girl... Ruined everything. <laughs> she ruined everything, right? And, um, and so it was hard to reason with her. I pointed out that she didn't ruin everything. She just meant you couldn't go. That, that wasn't well received. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as far as Lucia was concerned, everything was ruined, right? And, and, and the reality is this when it comes to our life, we've got to understand that all the time, We're in a race that's marked out for us. We have to run it with endurance. There's a start line and there's a finish line. And it doesn't matter if we run hard for all but the last meter, right? Because we don't, there's a thing chasing us that's trying to ruin everything. We've got to run the race that's marked out before us. There's a challenge that before us, the the first point, if you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, it's still the first point. The, the, The first point is that everything is an offering. Everything's an offering. In the story of Cain and Abel, you've got this ancient picture of two brothers trying to connect the real world with the invisible world. They're trying to bridge the gap so they're presenting something to God in the real world and they're, what they're, basically what they're doing is one guy is burning vegetables and the other guy burns up some lamb chops, right? But what, what happens is, you, if you can, you imagine this makes sense. It makes sense if you think about it. Because when you burn it, the thing you burn disappears into smoke and then goes up, right? So the thing burns and now becomes an offering in the other reality, right? So what they're trying to do is they're trying to do something here and now that positions them well in the invisible world. This is the, that's the phenomenology of sacrifice. That's why humans do it. We're doing something here and now that positions us in the eternal, right? Because we can see the thing disappearing and becoming an invisible thing, right? That's the nature of it, right? So one guy does it, and there's vegetables, Some vegetables weren't accepted and the other guy presents the best he's got and the best he's got is acceptable, right? But the reality for us is that everything is an offering. Everything is worship. So before we were worshiping, right? But we weren't, we were singing, right? So singing for us is the same equivalent. Here's the thing we're burning. It's, It's an hour and a half you're burning tonight. You're burning up an hour and a half to be here at church. But the reason you're doing it is to transform something in the spiritual reality around your life, right? We started off by saying hello to each other when we arrived, shaking a few hands. You know, how you doing? Good to see you. Right? All of it, you're burning up time. You're burning up time, right? Then we sing some songs and then you sit and pay attention. Or not, up to you, Right? But at the end of it, you've presented an offering. Partway through, a bunch of us, most of us, hopefully all of us, gave some finances, burned it up. Do you know what? The money you gave to church tonight, you'll never see again, right? Because it's already planned to be spent. We're, burning this, we're spending all of our energy in the here and now and then it burns up and then it positions us and it does something in the spiritual reality, Right? But for anyone watching, we were just standing around chatting and then we were singing and now all you're doing is sitting in a chair, right? But the difference is what's happening in the spiritual reality. What's happening in your attitude and your heart is are you Cain or are you Abel? Nobody knows. Because it's all about the invisible. Cain brings some, Abel brings his best, did you sing your best? Because it's not even whether it was good singing or not. You could sing badly and it would be your best offering, and you could sing well and it would just be some singing, right? But how is how is singing different to driving? I'm just driving my car. I'm just driving my car to work. Yeah, mongrel, get out of the way. I'm just driving. <laughs> how is driving different to parenting? How is parenting different to being a husband or wife and having relationships? How is that different to doing your job well? Yeah. Well, I'm just doing my job. Okay, just present your, good on you. Just present some veggies. Yeah. It's a fun one, yeah. right? But what's the difference? Here's the thing. A bunch of people just present the veggies. Wow. Lots of Christians do this. They maybe bring their best on Sunday, but who cares? Because it's just singing and sitting. Who cares? If you worship and that's, who cares? Because the whole thing's enough. That's like, oh, I started well. So? (laughs) Who cares? That's not gonna get you round through the macrocarpas and back to the finish line, starting well. Well, I go to church every Sunday. Why does that matter? What matters is at Sunday, I focus my attention and I practice My worship. I practice what it means to bring my best. That's why you make your kids dress up a little bit. Try please. Right, because we're trying to teach them to bring their best, right? But it's not because Sunday's the altar. The whole thing's the altar. Right, why? Because what happens to every day? Burned up. Where's yesterday? We burned it. Right, and it's gone. Yesterday is now part of... Yeah, so yesterday and all the previous days before are now part of an invisible reality called your memory, right? They're all in the, yesterday is all in the spiritual realm now, right? So whatever you burned up yesterday has gone there and it's, it's been accepted or not. It's all an offering. Is that a good first point? I'm enjoying this. Are you enjoying this? I like to preach challenging because if I'm coming, I, have, I mean, I have to listen to this too, right? We might as well move forward, Right? <laughs> The only sermons I'm hearing today are the one I heard this morning and the one I'm hearing right now, right? And I need to grow. I need to move forward, right? So we might as well talk straight, right? It's all an offering. It's not always acceptable. Do you know, Jesus is incredibly rude. If you read the Gospels, He's incredibly rude. In a whole bunch of ways, He's incredibly rude. He He said a whole bunch of really offensive, directly mean things to people. And one of the things He did at one point Uh, In Luke chapter 21, there's a story of of the widow bringing her offering. And it tells us, the Bible tells the story of all these rich people come and give this, you know, they pour into buckets and buckets of cash into the offering buckets. And this widow comes and brings just two copper coins. And Jesus is standing there and He says, This woman, she'd be like, This woman's given more than all the others. The point I want to make is this, that at the temple, Jesus was standing there watching what everyone put in the bucket. And then he was judging whether it was acceptable or not. This is, this, I should have said this at the start, this is a non-PC sermon, Right? It just doesn't feel like to me there's going to be a whole lot of participation awards given out in heaven. I, do you know what? I don't want to be the most improved version of Jordan Smith. I actually want to be a winning version. Because I'm run, do you know, Here's the trick, here's the trick though. I'm, not running, I'm running alongside Willie Levy, right? But I'm not running his race, I'm running my race. So who do I compete with? I don't try and be as good as Willie because actually that would just be a very disappointing exercise, right? My job is to be better than me, right? Because I'm running today and I ran yesterday and I've got to run the day, the jour. I've got to run it, right? Because the race is marked out for me in stages. Each stage is one day long. Psychologically, you cannot manage a goal further than a day away. Right, that's why you have to break your big goal down into one. What am I doing today? That's why you write a to-do list for the day. Don't you don't write a hundred things on your to-do list unless you want to have a nervous breakdown. You only write on the list the things you can do today. Right, the other things go on another list that you hide. Right, but the list for today's just got to have the things you can do. That's why my list has things like get up, then I can set up. I say, get up, brush teeth. <laughs> Eat breakfast. Gives me momentum at the start. You know, Some, I often will write on my list a bunch of things I've already done, right? So that I can get started with a bit of, bit of movement, right? It's like, starting, it's like starting with a tailwind, right? There's gonna be a headwind by two in the afternoon, so I might as well start with a tailwind, right? It's not always acceptable, and, but here's the, it's not always acceptable, but Jesus is always watching and He's prepared to tell you when it's not good enough. And in fact, it's a big thing Jesus does in the Bible. We're telling people that it's not good enough. Who's looking forward to the end of the world? <laughs> Greta Thunberg, she's into it, right? But the rest of us, I'm not so, she goes around the world talking about, I'm not so excited about it. I don't mind global warming. I live in Wellington. I burn every plastic bag I can get my hands on. It's freezing in Wellington. I don't mind a bit of global warming. We live up on a hill, wouldn't mind being beside the sea, but if I sea level rise, it'd be good. These are all bad jokes, by the way. (laughs) (coughs) But Jesus, at the end of the world, it says Jesus comes back on on a white horse, then He sits on a white throne. And then He judges everyone, right? According to what they've done, right? And some go to hell and burn forever. And those people who acknowledge Jesus and are trusting in Him for salvation still get judged. We don't get punished because our punishment has been already meted out to Christ, but we are still judged according to what we've done. We still had a job to do. We still had a call to live out. We still had a, something to live So some people are like, well, Jesus has saved me. So it's really, you know, it's all que sera, sera now. Whatever will be, will be. I'll just go with the flow. You know, if I, if, you know, if I can run with the ladies, i run with the ladies. The reality is this, just Jesus saved you so that you can live out His purpose, right? So you're redeemed and you're justified, but that doesn't mean you're not also expected to bring an offering on a daily basis that honours Him. In fact, the opposite is true. You're expected to do that better because of the help that Christ gives you in the process, right? Okay, so what do you do when you've been practising? You did the river crossing a hundred times. You made your dad wait. And you tried your best. And one metre from the line, she ruined everything. (laughs) All right? You've got, you've got the, you have a choice. When your, when your face goes wrong, I tried my best, but the teachers hate me. Of course they do. I tried my best, but my boss is just a jerk. I tried my best, but my wife, you know, she's twisted and evil. I said to Pastor Willie, "That's not true." I said. Come on, you hear other people do it, eh? They didn't, they didn't do good enough and somehow it's the boss's fault. It's really easy to hear when someone else is saying it. Or, you know, what about this one? Can't believe I got another parking ticket. <laughs> really? You can't believe it? Do you know what? If you'd paid for parking, do you know what would have happened? You wouldn't have got a parking ticket. <laughs> right? I spent $600 on parking tickets last year. <laughs> right? My car cost $1,800. I spent one third of the value of my vehicle in stupid tax to the Wellington City Council. Every single one of those tickets I got because I didn't, or I forgot to, or I, I wow, oh, that texting wouldn't work, or I didn't read the clearway sign. Right? But whose fault was it? My fault. Do you know how much I've paid on parking tickets this year? Zero. Why? Because I acknowledge the fact. Do you know why? Do you know why? It's because I actually, I came to a realisation, I thought, Jordan, one of the things you tell yourself regularly is that you're a genius. I do tell myself that a lot, right? (laughs) Right? Because I'm actually a really very intelligent person. I'm a very, very intelligent person. I read about one book every week, right? I'm up to play with politics. I'm interested in all sorts of clever ideas, right? But if you're that smart, (laughs) right? Jordan, if you are that smart, there's something wrong with you in this area that you need to acknowledge that you're not using your best abilities when it comes to something as simple as parking. And it's actually not acceptable, to spend $600 on parking tickets. That's not good enough because that $600 could be used for something different. That's an airfare to and from a town to preach. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's a whole thing you're wasting. You're burning it up like veggies instead of bringing your best. Or I could just carry on ranting and raving and calling Talk Back Radio. Money, <laughs> Blooming city council. Right? How many people complain about parking tickets? But who, It's never the parking attendant's fault. Yeah. Right? It's the last thing I check. There's very few deeply corrupt parking attendants in New Zealand. <laughs> right? The reality is when we... Here's the thing. How angry are you when you're driving and it's someone else's fault? Not very. Yeah. How angry are you when it's your fault? Why oh, are you idiots? Right? When you see an accident, do you know who's, you can, how you find out whose fault it is? Who's shouting? It's their fault. Right? What happened? Who, what's wrong with your grumpy face? What's, just what God's, God's saying, God says to Cain, What's wrong with your face? <laughs> Cain's like, Well, i a you accepted his offering. God's like, Well, if you, if you bring the best veggies, you'll be accepted. Why don't you just bring the best veggies? So Cain had this opportunity, just like Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve sinned and God comes to them in the garden. Hey, where are you? That was their moment to go, oh, here we are. We're stupid. We're really sorry. But what did they do? Oh, we're here. Uh, I know we're not not here at all, but check out our new threads. (laughs) God's like, what the heck are you doing? Right? And Cain does exactly the same thing. What's wrong with your face? Oh, yeah. I just brought some veggies. I could have. I could have done better. Yeah. And do you know what you should do each day? Have a look at what you burned up. Yeah, great. Great. Was it was it veggies or could you have done better? Do you, know how, do you know how you know? Do you know how you know you're not doing your best? Because you're getting really angry. You get real depressed. You get really angry, you get really depressed. You might, you, you might even get, be maniacally happy. That's unusual. But usually it's angry and sad. And then you go to the doctor to try and get treatment for your depression. It's, you can't really treat depression because not, you're not actually sad. You try and get anger management. Lots of men in New Zealand getting anger management. They're not actually angry. Because what happens is you've got a range of emotions. I've given you some of them. So there's happy. Who's heard of happy? Yeah. Next one's easy. Sad. You know, most families you're allowed to be happy, and you're allowed to be sad, right? Some families you can't do. You're not allowed to do all the emotions, right? So you haven't learned how to do all of them yet. My family, we're allowed to do all the emotions, but we're only allowed to do them at ten out of ten. <laughs> right? So that's the other. Type, that's another type of dysfunctional family, right? So happy, sad, angry. There's two more, but we don't really talk about these much in New Zealand. If you're a man here, you're usually allowed to be angry. Women aren't really allowed to be um, in our culture, and no one's really allowed to acknowledge this. one. women a little bit allowed to acknowledge this, when men not really allowed to acknowledge it. Scared. So, what do you do if you're a man and you're scared? You get angry. Right, and then you're trying to deal with your anger, but it's just fear, right? So a lot of what I do when I'm training people in the workplace is trying to get the road workers, someone's just been really badly hurt, and they're all pretending to be angry at the boss. They're not actually angry. They're really scared that they're going to get hurt. So let's talk about the fact that we're actually a bit fearful about our jobs and what's going on, right? I many of that's great, great fun. at six in the morning with a lot of road workers. Let's talk about our emotions, right? <laughs> to make it easy, let's all hug first. But the reality is, <laughs> the last one, I've yet to be in a seminar where anyone's been able to acknowledge the fifth emotion. No one can think of it. No one knows what it is. One guy got it at church one time. One of the, like a 20-year-old called it out. What's that fifth emotion that we never acknowledge, we never talk about? You only really deal with it at three in the morning. It's called shame. Shame. Oh, I'm really happy about my holiday. Oh, I'm really sad about my dog dying. I'm really angry about the All Blacks lost the World Cup. Oh, I'm really scared of coronavirus. Those are all things you might imagine yourself saying. What about this one? I'm really disgusted with myself for the things I do when I know I could do better. It doesn't come up in conversation quite as often. Right? But here's the challenge. once, When Cain was confronted with his own shame, he had to choose to acknowledge the fact that he's in the wrong and move forward, yeah. or he had to kill Abel. Blooming across country. I don't even know why this is in the curriculum. That was me with the other fat kids. <laughs> the back of the pack. Come on, fat kids, who else was with me? There we were. We all were super smart, right? We liked maths and reading because we were in the top groups, but now we're at the back of the pack. Right? I don't know why this is even in the current come. How can this be of any educational importance? Said eight-year-old Jordan Smith. <laughs> 17th puff on the inhaler. <laughs> Chafing. This is your only way. You've only got two options. you either acknowledge where you're in the wrong or you'd be one of those people that goes around saying, oh, the Bible, you can, it doesn't matter, but you can sort of sleep with whoever you want. Nah, that's old rules. No, oh, I don't really believe in tithing. I think there's different ways to do it. Because you, you're gonna have to either acknowledge where you missed the standard or you're gonna have to pull the standard down. You can't really do anything else, right? And so here's the question you gotta ask yourself. Are we descended from Abel or are we descended from Cain? When you read the story of Cain and Abel, you'll miss the point if you think you're Abel. When you read the story of Cain and Abel, do you know who you are? You're Cain. Because Abel didn't have any children. Right? We've got, to, we've got to understand the challenge. Here's the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This, what this sermon is about is this moment here. We want to live full and overflowing. We don't just want to, we need to. The plan of God demands it, which means we've got to somehow figure out a way each day to acknowledge where we're at, let it go, recognise that we did our day and it was either good enough or not, but we're moving into the next one free, right? Right? Because the challenge is some of you grew up in church, right? And so you know all the rules and you know that you're missing the mark. Some of you didn't grow up in church, but you know when you're missing the mark. You know when you're not living out to what God's called you to do because you have a conscience, right? But the challenge for us is that we've got to be able to deal with the shame factors and move forward. We've got to be able to acknowledge where we're at and let things go. I was chatting with an Orthodox priest one time. You know when you just get into those conversations with an Orthodox priest at 10 at night across the road at your neighbor's house and we were chatting away and he was like, the Orthodox people, they really love Pentecostals because we threw out the Pope as well. You know, they like the Protestants because we don't like the Pope. Uh, but they said, you know, when, when the Protestant, he, he said this, he said, he's 84 years old. He said, when a Protestant church threw out the Pope, you threw out some things you shouldn't have. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, you threw out confession. He's like, how do you deal with your sin?" how do you find freedom in the process? And I was like, (laughs) actually, if we're gonna live full and overflowing, one of our critical things is we've gotta be able to close the door on sin. Right, closing the door on sin isn't about not ever making a mistake. It's about not ever letting it reproduce itself in you after you make a mistake. Here's the deal, where there's a really big difference between the mistake you make and the thing you don't acknowledge that just gets bigger and bigger and darker and darker inside of you, right? So sometimes in, our, in the Christianity, we have talked about the mistake in the same way that we, talk, we should have been talking about the predatory cat. The mistakes life, the mistakes you make as part of being human, Right? But the thing that reproduces and takes over your life, that's the thing you didn't have to, you didn't have to do. Does that make sense? Right? And so the, the challenge is that sometimes when we're ashamed of the mistake, it puts us in a position where we, oh, well, there's no point anyway. Blooming cross country, there's no point even trying. I tried to start drinking less, but I couldn't, so I might as well just, Right? hard to maintain sexual purity so I might as well not even try. Well the reality is that you're missing the idea. The idea is this no, there's a purpose for your life that needs you to be strong and it needs you to have strong relationships and all of those sins don't make God feel icky, they just make you not hit the mark. Right? So what I thought we could do is just pray because we're used up all the time. You guys were just talking when I was trying to talk and wasting time. It's not me who was was getting sidetracked. It was, I'm pretty sure it was you. Uh, <laughs> but... You hold the applause for now. <laughs> um, so we could do this really slowly and carefully or we could think, oh, it's already time. Let's just get on with it. Um, there's a bunch of us here and actually... I want to lead you in a process where you can just close the door on a thing that's overtaking your life. Where a mistake has become a reproducible force in you. Does that make sense? Right? Or a wrong idea is producing itself, reproducing itself in you. Uh, Where you can close the door on that, let go of that. Rather than submitting to your sin, you can move forward to tomorrow. Do you know what happens tomorrow? If you make a mistake, you can acknowledge it and keep moving forward. Right, the challenge is not to re... So what happens is when you fire an arrow and you miss the target, then you fire again and try and hit the target. Unless you just draw a new target around where your arrow landed. Right? And that's the sort of Christianity that means you never, you never achieve your purpose. Because you say, oh, I did my best, that's good enough. No, you did, I did my best, it wasn't good enough, I'm gonna do better tomorrow. Right? Right? I did my best. Do you, know, do you know how many days of your life you'll, that will be true? All of them. It will always be possible to do better than you did, right? But you do your best, and you think, "No, there's even more for me tomorrow. There's more that God's got. I could live even. I could live with even more purpose. I could live with even more love for others. I could drive with even greater graciousness. You know." There's more where we can have all right? But it, part of the challenge is to move forward, we have to, let go, we have to close the door on that shame factor, right? Acknowledge, hey, we're missing the mark, but we're gonna move forward rather than allow ourselves to lower the mark. Yeah? Okay, okay. So why don't you close your eyes so people got some privacy. And if you know in the area of your life, you've been missing the mark and you've actually, rather than missing the mark, you've been pulling the mark down. And you've actually, in your behaviour or your thinking, you've actually redefined what's acceptable to, to be around your standards rather than what you know is God's standards. The reason you wanna address this is not because you want to live pure, but it's because you want to live His purpose for your life. You don't live pure for purity's sake. You try and live pure for purpose's sake. The reason why is because the world needs people who are free. If that's you, I just want you to respond to the Holy Spirit. So I just maybe lift your, open your hands just in front of you or just however you want to respond to God in your heart, and your mind and say, yeah, I actually want to get my life back in the position where I'm presenting my offering and I'm not judging myself. I'm not opening the door. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for everyone in that space. And I pray, Lord, as they deal perhaps with the struggle of shame or the tension of it, Lord, right now, as they even acknowledge before You and other people around them, Lord, as they acknowledge it, Lord God, I pray a freedom would fill their Spirit, freedom would fill their soul. Lord God, I pray even for tomorrow, the day tomorrow, the journey tomorrow, the race that tomorrow is from start to finish. Lord God, that they'd be able to run with endurance, the race You've marked out for them, that they'd be able to push hard towards the finish line. Lord God, for all, every single step, Lord God, including the last one, Lord God, they wouldn't be overtaken by the sin that's chasing them, the thing that's pursuing them. Lord, I pray for the young people in the room, I pray for the married couples in the room, the mums and dads, for the grandparents in the room, for each of us at the different stages of life, for all of us, the, the variety of things You've called us to do. Lord, we pray we'd have an impact, Lord God, whereas tomorrow burns up, it would be worship to You. As the hours burn past, Lord God, they'd be worship to You, that we'd be able to honour You in our driving, we'd be able to honour You in our work, we'd be able to honour You in relationships. Oh God, that your purposes would be expanded and extended in the city, we pray. Perhaps perhaps you're here tonight and, and maybe you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus. I've been talking a lot about our offerings and the way we live and our worship. And the truth of the matter is we're always gonna be incomplete human beings, which is why Jesus came and became, the Bible says He became a sacrifice in our place. Because we were not in a position, we're still not in a position to live a life that fully honours a glorious and holy God. Jesus did that on our behalf and paid the penalty of death so that we wouldn't have to be destroyed. When you make a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Saviour and as your Lord, something happens in the invisible realm. God, The Bible says that God writes your name in the book of life. Which means at the end of all things, when we're judged, we're judged and then the next thing that happens after everyone's judged is they see whose name is written in the book of life. And everyone who decided before they died, at some point in the life, they decided they were gonna trust Jesus for their salvation. Even whatever the outcome of the judgment is, we're received into heaven because of our name in the book of life. And so I wanna give you an opportunity. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equipers Church Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equiperschurch.com.